John chapter 8, verse 31. This is the word of God. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Not who we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old 
And and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Amen. We thank God for his word. If you have a Bible, please open again at John chapter 8. And we'll pray before we uh, turn to the Word. Father, once again, uh, we come uh, and ask that you'll give us teachable hearts, that you will equip us for our own walk with you, but we'll also be equipped in our witness and uh, in our evangelism, that we might understand the heart of man, but more importantly, we'll understand who Jesus really is. Lead us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I suppose as we think about life and theology, there are many, many big questions to ponder. And I know that when you go through the struggles of life, you want sometimes ask the question, you know, why is there such a thing as evil? Um, What is the purpose of life? What happens when I die? All those big, big questions. But there are two more basic questions that are really important and that we need to deal with and we need to know the answer to them. Who is Jesus? That's the first one. And how do I follow him? Who is Jesus? How do I follow him? The real Jesus, real discipleship. And in our long passage today, these questions are answered in reverse order. So we'll be thinking, first of all, about real discipleship, and then we'll think about the real Jesus. Now, remember the context. We've been thinking about that over these last number of weeks. It's the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This particular feast celebrated the provision of God in the wilderness years, the 40 years of wilderness living. And Jesus points out that all that provision, every single bit of it, were pictures of him. So do you remember the manna, that gift of uh, God to his people? I am the bread of life. Do you remember the water? Drink of me and you will live and never die. Do you remember the light? I am the light of the world. Each of the provisions of those years of wilderness living pointed to Jesus. The religious leaders, of course, heard all this and their response was negative, to say the least. They were increasingly hostile and violent and things are going to get worse. They're going to get worse because last time, you'll remember, if you were here, Jesus told them that they were darkness and they needed his light. Well, today, in our passage, he goes much further. He, he accuses them of basically of three things, that they are enslaved. Secondly, that they're blinded by their traditional religion. And thirdly, their father is not God, but the devil. Now, you can imagine uh, how these folk would have reacted to that. Despite the severity of all this, Jesus continues to teach with patience and with grace. So what we have in the group that's before Jesus as we come to these verses are many who are crazy with anger and many who believed. There was a mixed, a mixed audience before Jesus on this particular occasion, believers and non-believers. 
But of course, Jesus was not one to be impressed with massive numbers. No, he wasn't. He was looking for real conversions, real disciples of God. And so, first of all, he speaks to them, and then he speaks to everybody else. And those who have ears to hear, let them hear what Jesus says. First of all, let's think of real disciples in that section from 31 through to 47. Um, And I suppose we might say the first thing, there's three things here. Real disciples are free. They're not enslaved. That's section 31 to 38. They're free, not enslaved. Verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, notice that he's speaking to those who put their faith in him, verse 30. Many put their faith in him. And he, he, he mentions two things. Hold to my teaching, verse 31, and know the truth, verse 32. These are very important things. If you're going to be a real disciple, you've got to hold to the teaching of Jesus. You've got to know the truth of Jesus. And when you are doing that continually, right to the end, you will be free. Hold to his teaching Know his truth equals freedom. That's always the case. For us, just as much was for those people back on that first day in, uh, when Jesus uttered these words to this crowd. Now, the unbelievers in the crowd, they react, how dare you make such a statement? That's how angry they are. We are free. We're always free. They say, because we are Abraham's descendants. Notice that verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They deny what Jesus is teaching. Of course, they always do. Unbelievers always do. They hated the idea of slavery. They denied the idea of slavery But of course, you only have to have a vague notion of the history of the Jewish people to know that they were slaves many times. I mean, the very festival that they were involved in was at the end of a period of slavery. At the moment, they were slaves to Rome, and there were many slaveries in between. I mean, this is irrational nonsense, but that doesn't stop unbelievers thinking it's true. It's always like that, even today. But Jesus, of course, was not thinking about chains around feet and hands kind of slavery. Jesus was thinking about chains around hearts. Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, verily, verily, truly, truly, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is the reality of the human condition, slavery to sin. And verse 34 describes the condition of every single human heart. One commentator put it very nicely. I couldn't put it any better, so I'm going to use it. He said, we hate sin, and we love sin. We reject sin, and we long to keep sin. We're powerless without Jesus, as far as sin is concerned. 
And because of this desperate human condition that we are enslaved to sin, Jesus says, verse 35, there is terrible consequences. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Because of our sin, we have no rights, no position or privilege in the family of God. Not one. Now, of course, that's why we need Jesus to set us free. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Verse 36 tells us who we need, what we need. We need Jesus to set us free. Now, when we come to this kind of passage, we need to be humble and we need to be careful because you might think to yourself, well, you know, I'm not enslaved. I mean, I'm not a junkie. I'm not an addict. I'm not a pervert. I'm not an adulterer. There are no slaves in here. Come on. We're the decent people. There might be slaves out there. The people are not here. But surely we're not slaves. Now, I know we might not say it out loud, but sometimes don't we think it? We're okay. We're here. I'm not so sure about those people out there who are not here. But Jesus would say to you this. Jesus would ask you this question. Do you sin? And what's your answer? Well, just in case you haven't got it, <laughs> the answer is yes. That makes you a slave to sin. Full stop. No ifs, no buts, no thinking about it. And so are all the folks out there, the people we're seeking to love and, and to witness to and, and to reach. We're all slaves to sin because we sin. And that's why we need the new birth, isn't it? That's why we need adoption into God's family with all the privileges that come with sonship and daughtership of the king. We need this conversion experience. And if we don't have it, I'm sorry to tell you, you're still enslaved. You're still saying no matter how moral or decent we think we are, we're still enslaved. Come to me, says Jesus, and I will set you free. Uh, come to me and I will, I will forgive all your sins. Come to me and I will die for you. What we're going to remember in the Lord's Supper just in a few moments' time, I will spill my blood. I will buy you back. You will be free. The chains around your heart need dealt with, says Jesus, to these people, and he says it the same to us. One other writer said, you know, the problem with good people is that they make the best slaves. I find that quite thought-provoking. Good people make the best slaves because our idols are not really evil in our eyes. Because we whitewash our idols. We whitewash our sins. We make them sociably acceptable. Like, therefore, reputation or wealth, or success, or tradition, or family, or work, or even religion. And we say, you know what? I'm orthodox. I'm moral. I'm, do you remember that old expression? Good living? Good living? That's who I am. I'm not enslaved. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you are. 
So who's telling the truth? Religion or Jesus? See, we're not born as disciples. We're born as slaves. We need to be reborn from above so that we might be free. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Are you free? You know, we can pretend that this isn't about me. It's about themins. We can bury our head in the sand and try and forget all about it. We can hide or we can be free. A real disciple, you see, is free. And when you're free, you know it and you love it. Secondly, a real disciple is obedient, not just religious. Verse 39 to 41. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, says Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they were protested, and so it goes on. Abraham is our father. That's what they claim there at the beginning of verse 39, and therefore we belong to the special class of people. There's a kind of playground argument. Don't you know who our dad is? You know, did, you ever, did you ever come up against anyone in the playground and that's what they said? Don't you know who my dad is? My dad will get you. It's pathetic. It's juvenile. Physically, yes, Abraham was their dad. But spiritually, no. No. Because Jesus says, you don't do what he did. <laughs> you, you would do what he did if you were his children. But you don't, because you're not. And the way you live and the way you treat me, there's no evidence. There's no proof that you're a descendant of Abraham. Now, recently, we, we did study the life of, of Abraham. Um, just three examples where they were not like Abraham. There's lots of them. But in, in chapter 18... Abraham welcomed divine guests. You may remember that story. In Genesis 15, we read that he believed and was saved. And then the third one, we could pick many examples. In chapter 22 of Genesis, he was prepared to sacrifice in obedience to the Father. Do you remember those three stories? Well, among those who claimed to be his descendants, there was no welcome of Jesus, the divine one, there's no belief in salvation through Jesus, and there was no desire to sacrifice in obedience. In other words, there were nothing like Abraham. That's why Jesus said in verse 40, Abraham did not do such things. You're nothing like Abraham. You're religious, but you're not faithful like the way Abraham was. Physical descendants of Abraham need salvation in Jesus. Now, Kevin DeYoung writes this, Jesus exploded the notion that just by birth, they were of a fundamentally different spiritual class. Hear it again. Jesus exploded the notion 
that just by birth, they were of a fundamentally different spiritual class. Now, for 30 years, for 30 years and more, I've been stating this point from this pulpit, well, and some of it was in the other pulpit. And I still need to keep doing it. Because this is the lie that Satan would want you to believe and for us to believe and for us to believe about ourselves and for all the people we're trying to witness and love. The trappings of religion cannot save us. Playing the role of a decent person cannot save us. Having a good church pedigree cannot save us. Believing in good morality cannot save us. Being Protestant cannot save us. Being Presbyterian cannot save us. We need to hear this. And those we witness to need to hear this. You see, having a good bloodline of religion, having a good bloodline of Presbyterianism or any other kind of ism, cannot, will not save us or the people we're trying to witness and love. The only bloodline that can save is the bloodline of Jesus who washes us from our sin. The work I will do frees you, says Jesus. Obey me. Obey me like the way Abraham did, not the way you're doing. The third sign of a real disciple is that we love Jesus, not the devil. Uh, we see that in verse, at the end of verse 41. We are not illegitimate children. You notice that there's another snide comment about Jesus' conception and birth. You notice that? We are not illegitimate children. You are, but we're not. The only father we have is God himself. So what they're doing is they're moving the argument now. They say, okay, so you're denying that Abraham is our father, but you cannot deny that God is our father. Uh, but Jesus and the Bible and the gospel says, no, no. You just cannot claim God as Father. You need to be born of God. Do you know children born not of natural descent or of a, a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God? We'll be reading that, no doubt, coming up to Christmas in uh, John 1. We need to be born again into his family. They claim to have God as their father but they acted like pagans and they acted like unbelievers. I mean, how could they do that? Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. They weren't real disciples. They weren't even close. And the proof is, you don't love me. You don't follow me. There's not a chance that you could love God, or God could be your father. And then Jesus goes on the offensive between verses 43 and 47. I suppose we could sum it all up in verse 44 where he comes out with this. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Wow. Not only do you not love me, you love your father, the devil. He's a source of murder. So that's why you're trying to murder me. 
He's the source of lies. That's why you can't believe what I'm telling you. Because you love your father, the devil, not me. So the tone changes. But he's still patient. He's, he's blunt but patient. You, you can't have them together. And what Jesus is really saying here, I offer life and truth to you. And do, you do you know what you prefer? You prefer death and lies because you're of your father, the devil. Your real father is a source of death and lies. I offer you truth and life, and you want, you want what the devil offers. And folks, this is what we've got to understand for ourselves and for those we witness to, whether they be our neighbors or friends or co-workers, Unbelievers always choose death and lies over life and truth. Every time, every place, even now, and even here. Now, can I tell you, this is hard to preach. And I know it's hard to hear. But I want you to know that it comes from a heart of, of a preacher of genuine concern and love for you and for your loved ones. But, 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 I come to church. I have a Bible. I say my prayers. I give to the church. And Jesus would say, absolutely meaningless if I have not set you free. Absolutely meaningless if you don't love me 100%. Because you're not free. And you're not a child of faithful Abraham. And you're not a, a child of God. Verse 45. Listen, I mean, this is amazing. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus is saying, you know what? If I told you a pack of lies, you believe me. Because you believe lies. I'm telling you the truth, and you will not believe. And as one commentator put it, you would, you would rather believe the comfortable lie than come face to face with the uncomfortable truth. Do you get that? You would rather believe the comfortable lie than come face to face with the uncomfortable truth. And that really is the essence of what's the problem of humanity. All around us in our society, people just want to go with the easy route. The comfortable lie. The comfortable lie. I'll believe the comfortable lie rather than believing in the uncomfortable truth. But you see, the real disciple has changed. The real disciple is free. The real disciple is obedient. The real disciple loves Jesus. Are you a real disciple? There's a war going on for our hearts and minds. And we can find ourselves just trying not to deal with it. And just struggling on just to exist and we're sidetracked and by the world and the things of it, and, and, and we, we just, we're not free. 
We're not obedient. We don't love Jesus. And now is the time for change. Now is the time for real blessing. But what about the real Jesus? We'll spend less time on that because we want to take our time when we come to the table. The real Jesus. Again, we've been thinking about that over these chapters. Not the sanitized, sentimentalized kind of version of Jesus, but the real world. And and we see him here, patient as ever. Um, Look at the sheer hate-filled insult of verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and (laughs) demon-possessed? You can't get a a worse insult than that, probably. The S word. You, You never call anybody who's a Jew a Samaritan. I mean, that's just, that's the pits. That's like calling me an Arsenal fan, for instance. <laughs> a devil worshiper, devil possessed. Now, for me, see, if I was Jesus, you know what I would just have said, right? I would have zapped them on the spot. That would be end of story. But no. Patient Jesus, verse 49, I am not possessed by demons, says Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus seeks their salvation despite their hard, evil hearts. Do you know what? Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you know how much Jesus loves the people you're witnessing to? Despite our sin, despite the fact that we are often enslaved. We live like enslaved people. We, we live like religious people rather than spiritual people, and we live often loving the devil rather than loving Jesus. But you still, despite that, do you know how patient he is with us? I'll tell you how patient he is. Just look at again at the table. Look at again at the elements and what the elements mean. Look, think the significance of it all. Think how much he loves you. How patient he is with you, but, but, don't waste that patience. Don't play with that patience. For our sake, the real Jesus is patient. And he's also, of course, Savior in verses 51 to 55. A beautiful light and truth and hope in the face of anger and bitterness and rebellion. Verse 51, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, look at that word, if, if, anyone, including them. They've just called him a Samaritan and demon-possessed, and he says, even if you, even if you, and your hatred, and your rebellion would turn and believe and receive, then you will never see death. Not the first death, of course, which is physical death. Jesus is referring here to the second death, eternal death. On the basis of his blood shed on the cross, on the basis of his payment for the sin debt, we can break through the grave, through to the resurrection of the dead and to the new heaven and the new earth. Well, there's absolute fury in verses 52 and 53. You can read that at your leisure. But again, verses 54 and 55, Jesus says, listen, 
the reason why you cannot understand me, the reason why you cannot come to grips with what I am saying is that you don't know God, you do not know me. Verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I, if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Jesus, I know God. I keep his word. I am the Savior. You don't know God. And you lie about it. And you fake it. And you pretend. But in me, and in salvation in me, you will never see death. I think at the period of about four to five weeks there, I had six funerals. Only one here, and my duties in Lockholm to Tarhan. Physical death continues. You know, the sad news is, for you, one out of one of you will die. I'm going to die. Physically. Maybe some of you will be kind enough to come to my funeral service. but I'm not dead. And if you die physically in Christ, in the one who is the resurrection and the life, you will never die. Never. That's the power and the beauty of the gospel. He's also eternal, verses 56 to 58. Summed up at verse 58, I tell you the truth, another one of these truthful statements, before Abraham was born, I am. Oh, they get caught up in Abraham so much, don't they? Jesus said, listen, <laughs> before he even existed, before he even existed, I am. Before time, I am. Before creation, I am. I am. I am God. Do you know what? If that thought doesn't drive us to our knees before Jesus, I don't know what will. You know, how can we yawn in the face of such truth? How can we say, oh, blah, 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 blah. I mean, how can we ignore such a God-man before Abraham was? I am. We should be awestruck in our devotion and in our faith because the real Jesus and these three pictures, just three, patient, Savior, eternal, but notice 59 as we finish. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is a sad verse, probably the saddest verse of this whole section because, yeah, not even the insult, 
you're a Samaritan and you are a, a demon-possessed, that's, that's bad. This is sad. This is sad because Jesus leaves the temple. He absents himself. The greatest curse of all. Do you know what the worst thing can happen to you, to me, is that Jesus walks away from us. Jesus would leave us. That's the worst possible thing. That's the curse upon all curses. And while you're here, in a sense, while you're under the sound of the gospel, there's hope. There's hope for your friends and family and your neighbors. But once Jesus slips away, that's the curse. No stoning today. Augustine said this, Jesus may flee from stones, but woe to those whose hearts of stone God himself flees. Jesus may flee from stones, but woe to those whose hearts of stone God himself flees. And yes, the folks we're trying to witness to have hearts of stone. They need the gospel and the power of the Spirit to set them free, to change them into being obedient lovers of Jesus. But one day, he will flee. He will walk away. He will leave. And after that, there's no hope. May God grant us understanding of what he's saying to us by his word and through his spirit. And even as we come to the table, that we will grasp the wonder of such a savior dying for rebels like you and me. Let's pray. Lord, speak into our hearts, we pray. We asked for humble hearts. We pray that you might have enabled us to be humble in heart. And we ask now that as we sing in response and then come to the table, you will bless us. May we see the real Jesus as real disciples, free, obedient, and loving him. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.